state will regulate a militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am glad that you're with us on the program today. Oh boy, we're uh, delving back into the issue of the uh, ATF and their uh, arbitrary and capricious rulemaking. Yep, last time we were talking about the uh, Honey Badger pistol that the uh, ATF had suddenly declared was not a pistol at all. And in fact, it was a short-barreled rifle because of the pistol brace that uh, is attached to the Honey Badger. And then uh, shortly after we uh, did our interview with Josh Savani, uh, NRA ILA's Director of Research and Information, uh, the uh, actually, I guess it was right before we uh, talked with Josh Savani, um, the ATF had suspended for 60 days uh, their determination letter that they had sent off to Honey Badger. Well, now it looks like things may be actually expanding in terms of these uh, new ATF regulations. A, a law firm recently put out a uh, an alert to clients. This is uh, the Wiley Law Firm talking about an ATF interpretive change restricting handgun imports uh, that could ultimately require National Firearms Act registration for guns that are currently owned uh, by gun owners. I know that this has got a lot of folks talking and a lot of folks freaked out. So I wanted to reach back out to Josh Savani, uh, NRA ILA's Director of Research and Information, to uh, talk about these new, uh, and again, these are not public determinations that the ATF is sending out. They're sending out private letters to you know individual firms that are trying to import these firearms saying, well, you know, uh, last year, heck, last month, uh, this uh, handgun may have passed the sporting purposes test, and we would have approved it to be imported into the United States. But this month, this month we've said no. Uh, it really is that quick. And as Josh explains, this isn't really a matter of the ATF moving the goalposts for importers, uh, but it's a matter of changing the playing field itself. Yeah, I mean, it's really unbelievable. Take a look and a listen. Josh, thanks so much, sir, for coming back on the program. It's good talking to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Cam. It's always good to, it's always good to be here. You know, last time we uh, had John, we were talking about the, the honey badger uh, and the uh, ATF's ruling, which was then, I guess, suspended for 60 days, uh, declaring that the uh, honey badger AR pistol uh, is actually a short-barreled rifle. Now it seems like um, ATF may be expanding uh, their their new definition and their private definition to encompass uh, virtually all uh, AR and AK style pistols here. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of concerns, certainly based on the actions that ATF is taking, kind of all at the same time, especially here this close to an election. Um, but they're, they're definitely different things. Uh, you know, I think that the 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 new information that kind of came out in the last week has to do primarily with, at least right for right now, you know, hopefully has to do with the import of, uh, of certain handguns and pistols, um, and what ATF considers a, a handgun for the purposes of, of things being able to be imported. Um, so I think that that's one of the things for, for people to really keep clear is that the, this issue is not as much about the pistol braces mm -hmm. as it is about what is and is not legally a, a handgun or pistol um, under federal law? Because, so, so just as a little bit of background, the, um, this, this gets a little bit complicated. The 
federal law generally bans the import of firearms. Um, and then, uh, importers have to actually have a, essentially have to get their firearms evaluated by ATF to see if they meet the standards for import. Um, this is one of the several sporting purpose tests in federal law that are, have been, you know, pretty manipulated by ATF over the last, you know, 50 or so years. Um, and it, it, it can sometimes, again, like, just like we're talking about with Honey Badger, it feels like the goalposts are often moving. Um, and, but in this case, it's like they flipped the ends of the field almost. Like the, the, uh, you know, uh, something that would have normally been totally fine to import. It, it, generally, it's easier to import, um, handguns and pistols because there's a, there's a factoring point system mm-hmm. that as long as the, the, the handgun has a sufficient number of points, you know, you can look at it and most, you know, attorneys or, or importers that work in this field can look at a handgun and tell, yeah, that's going to be importable because it's going to, going to have enough points under the, the handgun factoring criteria. Um, and usually, uh, large frame handguns, uh, because what Congress was trying to do with the, with the sporting purpose test as regards to handguns, mm-hmm. um, was keep out, uh, so in 1968, there was this, you know, if you look at the congressional record, there was concern over, you know, small concealable imported handguns. That's really what the sporting purpose test was designed to keep out at all. Um, they didn't know exactly how to describe that, I guess, and so they gave a lot of, uh, leeway to the agency to decide what's readily adaptable or particularly suitable for sporting purposes. Right. Um, but if you look what they're really worried about, it was these small concealable handguns. Um, so big frame pistols, like, um, we're talking about in this case, like a pistol based off of an AR platform or a pistol based off of, um, you know, something similar, like some type of large frame amount of pistol. Uh, generally are, are, get easily enough points. There, it's not even close because they're, they're like the polar opposite of what Congress was trying to keep out, uh, right. with the, with the supporting purpose test. So, what, what ATF is really changing in this case is that they're saying that, well, actually something can be too big. Um, <laughs> you know, like this, this is, as we often find with, you know, with gun laws, like, you know, it's, it's, you know, too hot or too cold, or it's too big or too small, it's, you know, um, too heavy or too light, you know, there's, there's like some Goldilocks zone for regulators for these things to be within. And I think that Goldilocks zone is they try to make fewer and fewer things fit in it is always the, the, the goal for, for people that don't like guns is to say that, you know, oh, this is too heavy, so it can't be uh, a pistol. And that's that's really what's happening here is they're saying, well, some of these pistols actually, you know, they're too heavy to even be a, or maybe too long or or something to even be a, a handgun. And, and again, all this is sort of arbitrary and it's done behind the scenes. Uh, none of these determinations are, are public. These are not uh, a formal uh, rules. I mean, well, in, in a way, they are formal rules, but but the public doesn't get to comment uh, on the ATF's uh, uh, reinterpretation uh, of these policies. I'm looking at a uh, an advisory from uh, uh, the Wiley Law Firm, and they talk about in some of the new letters that the ATF's been sending out, uh, they are now listing, uh, quote-unquote, objective design features like the incorporation of uh, rifle sights, uh, utilization of rifle caliber ammunition, uh, the incorporation of rifle length barrel, the weapons heavy weight, as you just talked about, uh, the ability to accept detachable magazines uh, that they say would, quote, uh, contribute to the overall weight of the firearm, uh, as well as the overall length of the firearm, which uh, creates a, quote, front heavy imbalance 
uh, when held in one hand. But Wiley says that the ATF notes as well in their uh, most recent private ruling that the above design features are, quote, neither binding on future classifications, nor is any factor individually determinative. Um, so again, Josh, we're left with these really vague standards that importers uh, have to follow now. And and what does this mean for gun owners who, who may own one of these firearms that the ATF is now going back and saying, well, you know, I, I don't know that these actually do meet the sporting purposes test. Yeah. So the, I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head with the, the idea that there's no way for, the only reason we know about this is because Wiley happened to, to write this article noting letters that some of their clients received. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if that hadn't happened, you know, these, you know, secret agency determinations um, that they've, you know, then may try to use against somebody in the future, you know, the person wouldn't even know about it. Um, and for, as far as somebody that currently has one, um, there's, so the, the, the standard is on the import of them. Assumingly, the, the importer received, like I said, since, Firearms generally have to be approved for import. Mm-hmm. If a firearm was imported, um, then it, once it's in the country legally, that that should be the, the end of it as far as uh, for for a gun owner that currently possesses one. Um, ATF did kind of indicate in one of the letters, though, that they may look at prior classifications, and they said that that is not reversing the, because there's a very the. Federal Administrative Procedures Act is very strict on agencies reversing it, their their rules because it's generally just about good governance. You know, it's not really Administrative Procedures, procedures Act doesn't really have anything to do with with fire specifically, but it's really about a system of good governance, and we don't want federal agencies just changing you know the law back and forth. Um, so. They, they're trying to get around this idea that they're not reversing their, their prior decisions by saying, you know, I think they, the Wiley article notes that they try to claim that, well, making a new determination is not necessarily reversing a past one, even if it's exactly the opposite somehow. I'm not right. exactly sure how you get to, how you get there. Um, but that, that seems to be their claim. Uh, I think the real concern is, is how they're, by looking at, um, by saying things aren't handguns, uh, and, and Wiley notes this in their the article, by saying a, a particular firearm is not a handgun, that does create problems potentially for gun owners in the United States because uh, generally a firearm that's under 26 inches in overall length has to be a pistol to not be subject to the provisions of the National Firearms Act. Yeah. Um, so... Again, they could be, so there's a, a category under the NFA called any other weapon, um, because the NFA was designed to go after concealable handguns and then handguns were removed. These other concealable firearms were kind of left in the NFA. It doesn't really make any sense. Uh, none of it makes any sense, but the, <laughs> the, uh, the, that's what, the, now, the problem is that if you have a, a firearm that's under 26 inches in overall length, as long as it's a pistol, it's not subject to the NFA. But now with ATF saying, well, certain things are too big and too heavy to be handguns, that potentially puts gunners that own those domestically uh, in, you know, in jeopardy of potentially owning 
an AOW. Now, ATF hasn't said that yet. That's just Wiley saying, well, if you take what ATF is doing over here and apply it to the, you know, the same definition in another area of law, this is what would happen. Uh, you know, it's very likely that ATF just didn't even think about those second order consequences of, you know, changing their, their import determinations. Uh, let's, um, let's hope. But, but as you say, you know, even if these are <laughs> unintended consequences, um, if the ATF were to try yeah. to apply this rule consistently, there would be consequences, uh, for gun owners. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, yeah. you know, we've talked about this, uh, Josh, in, in the uh, scope of Joe Biden's, uh, gun ban plans, uh, where he wants to require Americans who, who don't, uh, hand over their so-called assault weapons and large capacity magazines to register them under the National Firearms Act. If you're found in possession of an NFA item that is not registered, that's a 10-year federal prison sentence. That's a $250,000 fine. I mean, these are serious yeah. criminal consequences for people who would just be maintaining possession of the gun that they legally purchased. Right. Yeah, well, and I would claim or engaged in constitutionally protected conduct. You yeah. know, so they, you shouldn't be able to, you know, that shouldn't be able to be criminalized, period. Um, but yeah, there's very serious criminal penalties for violations of the NFA. Um, and it, it puts a lot of people in jeopardy. And that's why gun owners generally get very concerned when, uh, the ATF starts tinkering with definitions that, uh, you know, could apply to the, to the NFA. Now, I think one of the interesting things in this case is, ATF is kind of making a case for, for pistol braces um, because they're saying, oh, these are too big or too heavy to easily use with one hand. Um, theoretically, if you the same firearm with a brace, that wouldn't be the problem because the brace actually helps you use a bigger and heavier firearm with just one hand. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> this, I don't know that they were thinking about that. Um, and that's actually one of the things that I, I think people, some confusion that I've seen, um, you know, on the internet, on, on forums and elsewhere, uh, pistols in the U.S. with with pistol braces are generally going to be over 26 inches in overall length. Because the, as long as the brace is not side-folding, this is another silly ATF determination that when a brace side-folds, it's measured with it closed. Um, but generally, a pistol brace on a on a pistol, uh, it, the, the overall length of the firearm is going to be more than 26 inches, and so it's not going to be in AOW. So usually we're going to be talking, I mean, there are some with very short barrels that could be, mm -hmm. or short guns with short receivers. Um, but usually a, a pistol with a brace on it is, even if it's considered to be a firearm and so not a pistol, it, it's not going to have that AOW problem. It might, if it ha again, if it has a, a short barrel. But again, there, the ATF would be kind of encouraging the use of pistol braces because if, thing, if pistols without braces on them are too are under 26 inches at overall length, then they'd be an AOW, but with a brace, they're not. Uh, you know, if, you know, some of the other actions we've seen, like we talked about last time, seems ATF is trying to crack down on pistol braces. Uh, the incentive that this change makes is for everyone to put a brace on, on any type of large frame pistol. Okay. So again, <laughs> the ATF <laughs> appears to be working across purposes with itself at this point. Um, and yeah, you know, Josh, I mean, look, so, so much of, I, I think what happens, um, in, in the future with these issues depends on what happens next Tuesday on election day. Uh, you know, if yeah, Donald absolutely. Trump is reelected, then I, I, I have, uh, much more hope and faith that, uh, a Trump administration would rein in 
uh, some of these abuses and the confusion and, and would, uh, you know, uh, try to uh, ensure that, that we've got some clear, definable rules that can be followed that aren't being changed on a whim. Uh, if Joe Biden wins next Tuesday, I, I, honestly, I mean, I'm afraid that uh, the ATF is going to be empowered to uh, do, you know, far more than what we've already seen over the past few weeks. Exactly. I mean, I think that we we all know that these changes are coming this late in the administration because they think they can get away with it, potentially hoping that it's for a Biden administration. Um, I, I think that the best thing that all gun owners can do is to make sure that that doesn't happen and that, you know, President Trump is, is reelected next Tuesday and that we end up with, you know, an actual and then in the very near future after that, we end up with a, a new confirmed ATF director who's actually going to to, to rein in this route, you know, it's kind of gone rogue at this point. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, what, what's your final advice for gun owners right now who are uh, concerned and confused by uh, these private letters that the ATF is now sending out and the alerts that are going around? What, what, what's your bottom line takeaway for gun owners right now in terms of, you know, if, if they've got one of these firearms that they're now concerned, maybe it's going to be considered an AOW. Uh, what do I do with my brace? What, what, what's your advice for gun owners? Um, well, so the, as I said, ATF hasn't said anything about the, the, this, you know, def- new change to the definition of handgun, potentially their interpretation of the definition of handgun, potentially applying to domestically possessed firearms, mm-hmm. certainly a concern in the future. Um, so I don't think as of right now, gun owners really need to, to worry about that being applied that way. I think the best thing that's going to happen is that the, the import determination is actually going to get overturned. Um, and then they'll, they'll go back to the, the old way. Again, the best way for that to occur is for President Trump to get reelected um, to, to make sure that they have, um, uh, you know, actual leadership that's making sure that they correctly apply the law. Um, but for right now, I don't think that there is necessarily an effect on people in current possession. Um, so that I guess that's at least the upside for anybody that's particularly concerned. Um, they, you know, AOWs like some other NFA firearms, they're not subject to the same rules as machine guns. Where like something once something's been a machine gun, it's always a machine gun. Mm-hmm. So if it is, you know, if you look at some of the initial guidance that was put out, you know, before the the honey badger determination was suspended, you know, there was guidance put out about you know disassembling the firearm in a way that that made it no longer subject to provisions of the NFA. That would likewise apply here, um, where once if a firearm is no longer in that configuration, uh, it's not, like the receiver isn't tainted like it is with a machine gun, where some, once something's been made into a machine gun, you know, in ATF mind, it always is. Okay. All right. Well, that is, uh, that is good to know. Hopefully that will at least give uh, a little peace of mind to some folks. And uh, yeah. in the meantime, you know, I, I imagine um, – let, let, let's let's talk again here in uh, a week or two when the, uh, the yeah. dust is settled after the election. And, and I think we'll have a much better idea of, um, you know, what the immediate future is going to look like in terms of these uh, ATF rules and regulations. But in the meantime, Josh, again, thank you so much for coming on the program. Uh, thanks for everything you do and look forward to talking to you again very soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me. You bet. Josh Savani joined us, NRA ILA's Director of Research and Information here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company.
I appreciate to Josh coming on to explain everything. I mean, I know this is a complicated issue and you start getting into, you know, the the legalese within the National Firearms Act and the uh, uh, the legalese within the ATF. And maybe some folks eyes start to glaze over. But this is incredibly important. And again, this seems to be uh, an abuse uh, by the ATF, uh, you know, introducing these, uh, again, extraordinarily arbitrary uh, new rules in the weeks before the election. Uh, you know, there have been rumors that uh, this is a, a an attempt by uh, some employees of the ATF to, uh, you know, uh, throw an October surprise at Donald Trump, make gun owners angry at Donald Trump. Look what Trump's ATF is doing. I can guarantee you this isn't uh, these are not Donald Trump supporters at the ATF who are doing this. But this is, as Josh and I talked about, uh, a sign of things to come. If Joe Biden is elected, even before Biden's gun ban, magazine ban, you know, the buyback, quote unquote, uh, and the uh, confiscation, you can either uh, hand over your guns to the government or you can pay $200 to register under the National Firearms Act. Even before that legislation would be introduced in Congress, uh, there is already, you know, so much that a Biden-Harris administration could do administratively through executive orders, or again, through using the ATF to weaponize regulations uh, against legal law-abiding gun owners in this country. It is another reason why it is so vitally important that every gun owner get out and vote on Tuesday, if you haven't done so already. All right, let's turn our attention now to our good deed of the day, our armed citizen story, our recidivist report. We'll start there with a, a case out of Las Vegas where a, a woman accused of fatally shooting a neighbor had a history of disputes, including uh, an arrest uh, just in 2019 that apparently led to virtually no consequences. 34-year-old Tolian Banks of Las Vegas was arrested on Monday. She's now facing charges of open murder with a deadly weapon, carrying or, concealed a, or, carrying or concealing a weapon without a permit, as well as a parole violation. Uh, according to uh, an arrest report, Banks have been in multiple disputes with at least four of her neighbors over the past month, including at least one other physical fight, before she allegedly uh, shot Marcus Dumpson uh, on uh, Monday. Investigators reviewed Dumpson's girlfriend, son, excuse me, I guess the shooting was on Saturday, she was arrested on Monday. Investigators interviewed uh, Dumpson's girlfriend, son, several of the neighbors who talked about the dispute with Banks uh, leading up to the shooting on Saturday. Police report, uh, uh, police report indicates that Dumpson's girlfriend had been in ongoing disputes with Banks over the last month. Uh, the argument escalated into a physical fight between Dumpson's girlfriend and Banks approximately two weeks ago when Banks entered the uh, woman's apartment and confronted her. Uh, police believe on Saturday night that Banks approached Dumpson's girlfriend and another resident with her two children behind her. Uh, multiple neighbors arrived shortly after an argument began, reported that Banks had uh, pepper sprayed uh, all of the uh, individuals, then produced a handgun and shot Dumpson once in the stomach before driving off, leaving her kids behind. Yeah, shot a man, took off, leaving her two children. Metro Homicide Lieutenant Ray Spencer said Saturday night Child Protective Services were uh, coming to collect the children. According to the Las Vegas Review, Journal Banks has a prior conviction from 2019 when she was found guilty of attempted battery with substantial bodily harm. In February of this year, she was sentenced to three years probation. Yep. Oh, by the way, that probation has now been revoked after her arrest on murder charges, but uh, the first violent crime that she was sentenced for earlier this year, slap on the wrist, sent on her way, and uh, now again in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, 
Tolly and Banks facing uh, even more serious charges in the death of a uh, 31-year-old man, Marcus Dumpson. Our uh, Armed citizen story of the day from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, mild stomping grounds. Don't have a lot of information here, but the police say that an alleged burglar was shot and killed uh, by a homeowner in the uh, northwest part of the city. It was uh, around 8 p.m. Wednesday night. Officers called away home in the 2800 block of North Drexel Avenue uh, on a report of burglary. Investigators say the knockman of the home confronted the alleged burglar, and during that confrontation, the burglar was shot and killed. Resident uh, involved in the shooting was interviewed and released. The investigation does continue, but at this point, again, looks like a, a case of uh, self-defense there in uh, northwest Oklahoma City. We'll keep our eyes out for uh, any more updates. We'll bring them to you uh, as they become available. And finally today, our good deed of the day, East Nashville, Tennessee, where a, a police officer in the right place at the right time and willing and able to save the life of a choking baby. Officer Philip Claiborne with the Metro Nashville Police Department uh, was among the officers who were investigating a car crash on uh, Shelby Avenue on Tuesday when a, a mother came running up to them uh, asking for aid because her child was struggling to breathe. Philip Claiborne says you can't stop yourself from thinking about your own kids. He has uh, been an officer with the Metro Nashville Police Department for about 19 months. He says his training kicked into action when a woman began screaming that her infant son was choking. He said she was panicked. She was frantic. I could tell she was looking for help. Nine-month-old, barely breathing at that point. He said, I visually checked the child's airway. I didn't see any obstructions, but I could hear the baby was gasping for air and wasn't making any other kind of noises other than that. So he performed the infant Heimlich maneuver. He said, I knelt down. I turned the baby over, kind of palmed its chest in my hand, rested my hand on my leg, Gave the baby one good smack on its back, and immediately the baby started coughing and crying. And that's what you want to hear. Uh, Claiborne says he's not a hero. Says he was just doing his job. I imagine that mom would disagree, uh, and uh, I would disagree as well. I mean, it, yes, it may have all been in a day's work for Officer Philip Claiborne, but uh, it was still a very, very good deed performed by that officer, and we're glad that he was able to do it. All right, that is going to do it, speaking of doing things, for uh, this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam & Company. Thank you, as always, for being a part of the program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to talk with another hero, Stephen Williford, and a guy who, again, doesn't describe himself as a hero, doesn't see himself as a hero, uh, but in the eyes of many Americans, he absolutely is, the hero of Sutherland Springs. Stephen Williford asleep in his home when uh, the gunshots started happening across the street at the uh, local church. He got up, he grabbed his gun, he ran out of his home, he confronted that attacker, helping to put a stop uh, to the attack in Sutherland Springs. Now Stephen Williford is speaking out about another threat, a threat to our right to keep and bear arms posed by the Obama-Biden administration. And Stephen Williford is going to join me tomorrow on Bearing Arms Cam and Company to talk about that threat and who he's voting for in the 2020 election. We'll see you then. Until then, don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you'll never miss a program. Or if you just like the audio version, you don't need to see the daily growth of the beard. Uh, that's fine. I get it. Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can find the podcast there as well. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, be free. We'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. Yeah.